Thank God for dysfunctional churches. The reason I say that, we will be in the second uh, letter to the Corinthians today, starting in chapter 5. The Corinthians are an interesting group. Paul had a uh, lasting relationship, not always on good terms. We know that he wrote several letters to the Corinthians, not just the two that we have in our Bible. Uh, some is probably better that we don't have because it sounded like he wasn't very happy with them. And you wouldn't want your dirty laundry aired out in, in public for all time, now would you either? But Paul had this relationship. Uh, he, he had a fondness relationship. The Corinthians were born to be trouble. They were Gentiles. They, they weren't the, from this Jewish background. They didn't know how to be church people. And because of that, they ran into a lot of problems. Not only that was as the gospel was spreading and popularity of the gospel in the Gentile regions of the world, uh, in Corinth and Asia Minor and all these other places, um, happened, uh, there were some people who took advantage of that, these kind of charlatans, these uh, professors of religion for a prophet. We still have that today. You see some of these preachers on TV that live in these mansions and have, you know, airplanes and all these hundreds of cars and things like that. There's a buck to be made in religion. And it's because it offers hope. Just like the medical profession. We can look at our own, own medical profession today in the United States. There's money to be made there. Some of them are generally doing it because they want to help the livelihood of others. But there's money to be made there. Look at the arguments over insurance and things like that as it changed over even the last five, five years. There's money in the medical industry. Why? Because it offers hope. It offers a Western hope. It offers the, this technology that will prolong your days. And with enough research, maybe you can live to 150. I don't know why you'd want to live that long, but maybe one day. It offers a sense of hope. And there are people in it for the right reasons. And there are people who are in it for their own gain. Paul ran into people like that in Corinth. It drove wedges between him and the congregations, between him and some of the leadership. And so he writes this second letter, or this third or fourth or fifth, wherever it fell in his actual letter writing campaign. But he writes this letter. He is in a bad spot. His body has been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. Outcomes are uncertain for him. But he has learned something. He has learned the reason of his hope. In the beginning of this chapter, it talks about his body as a tent. He talks about heavenly dwellings versus this earthly dwelling. The beginning of this chapter are great funeral messages because it sees the end of all things. But today we move on to kind of its conclusion. What does Paul learn when he says, for we walk by faith and not by sight? Well, join with me, chapter 5, starting in verse 14. He says, For the love of Christ controls us or compels us, depending on your version, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. 
Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become his righteousness, the righteousness of God. Man, isn't that some beautiful scripture? It does something good for your soul to read words like that. So Paul had gotten it. But Paul hadn't always gotten it. Do you remember his life? Paul was born and bred a Jew among Jews. He went to all the Sunday school classes. He attended the seminaries, all that kind of stuff. Paul had done it. He probably was, you know, head deacon and all these kind of things growing up. Paul had been there and he'd done that. He'd gotten his, uh, his little badge that says he hadn't missed a day of Sunday school in over 100 days or all, well, you know, all those things that you can get. But he counted it all garbage, all rubbish for what he learned in Christ because when he was following the religion of hope, he'd lost sight on what it meant. He knew the scriptures, he read the scriptures, and he wanted to be holy and righteous, so he would stand in front of God justified but through his relationship with Christ he realized he could not justify himself so no matter how hard he tried he would always come up short then he met Jesus the resurrected Savior now did you catch this part it says therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh do you know what that means? Some of these people, maybe even Paul included, knew Jesus as Jesus the carpenter, as the rabbi, the teacher, the healer, before he died. They knew him as we know each other, as we talk to each other. This is how they knew him. He says, but we don't know him that way any longer. Because when Christ was there, maybe even Paul was in the background Listen to this young rabbi as he came through. Maybe he heard him speak and said, he's got some good things to say, but he, he's trouble. Because we know after Christ died, Paul took on himself as Saul to persecute the church, to rid the church of this problem. But he knows him now in the spirit. This changes things. For each and every one of us here today, that has had an encounter with Christ and has called on his name as our Savior, we have had an encounter with that same Spirit, the Spirit that reconciles us, the Spirit that speaks to God on our behalf, that guides us, that tells us how we are to live. We have had this same encounter just as Paul has had. 
for Paul, it changed everything. Has it changed things for you? Now, when you read Scripture, if you ever see the word therefore, you know it comes as a conclusion, as a thought of what he just finished saying. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Out of Paul's relationship with Christ, therefore he acts. As he says, the love of Christ controls us or compels us to do this. For him, there was no other way to live because he knew what he had gained. He knew what the love of Christ was in his life. He knew the love of Christ that would sustain him, that would take him through those trials and those afflictions. Can you imagine this minister for the gospel, this apostle, this man who was beaten, who was stoned, who was left for dead on more than one occasion? Can you imagine if that was you? How much would you take for Christ? We live in Floydata, Texas. We're relatively safe with our religious beliefs. We don't worry about someone coming in and barging through our, our doors to haul us off because we are Christians. We don't worry about the authorities doing that. Christians here did. What would you give up? What would you forsake for the gospel? For Paul, it was knowing what had happened in his life, what had happened through the Spirit. And that's what we saw in the baptism. When he came to know the Lord, he died to his own self. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He was no longer Saul, the persecutor of the church. A Hebrew among Hebrews. He was Paul, a follower of Christ, an apostle, an ambassador, one who was given a commission to share the gospel with all the world. A new creation. Just think about that. Doesn't matter what you have done, doesn't matter what sin is in your life. You are redeemable. You can be reconciled. Because if you allow God to come into your life, if you allow the work of Jesus to flow over you, if you allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in you richly, you are new. You are different. Because you have Christ inside of you. You are a new creation. So the past doesn't matter unless that's where we stay. For when we hear the gospel message, when we hear the words of Christ, we hear them plainly. You're either with him or against him. There's no, let me try this out for a little while and see if it's my taste. You're either with Christ or you're not. Paul is speaking in real time with real motives, with real ambitions. 
He was speaking to a church as they heard these words. We talk about God, how He is the same in the past, the present, and the future. These words do that. They are the words of the past. For when God created this world, He had a plan from the very beginning of time that we may be reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ. He had a plan for the presence. That's you and me. This is now. This is our time to follow or reject. There's no other choice. You're either with Him or you're without. And in doing so, we become that new creation. This is the future. For we no longer live to ourselves, but we live through Christ in us. This is the message that he has given us. For this is the love that Paul has found. It compels him. It controlled his waking moments. Because he knew that this life was temporal. It did not stand for eternity. He knew that if his earthly home was destroyed, it says, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. For in this tent we groan, longing to put our heavenly dwelling, clothe ourselves in our heavenly dwelling. Take off one, put on the other. But Paul didn't see this as a release from this body. For we are not just spirit. We are spirit and flesh. And as we live here, we will battle between the two. If we seek Christ, if we let him dwell in us and we give room for his spirit to be our spirit, we get closer. But yet we still struggle with the corruption of this world because we still live in our fleshly bodies. We still suffer pain, sickness, and death. Just look at the earth itself. It groans. Turn on the news. Look at the disasters, volcanoes, earthquakes, tsunamis. This is because of sin in the world. This is way back from the beginning. There will be a time when there will be no more earthquakes, no more tornadoes, no more droughts. And we will be given these resurrected bodies. We will be made whole. We will finally live as the way we were intended to live. In the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. We will worship God as we should, not as we try. But this is what it means. But we're in that in-between time. We're in the time where Christ has won the war, but the battles still rage. Satan, the king of this world, still walks triumphantly, he thinks, around, trying to steer you in the wrong directions, putting doubt in your soul so that maybe you fear that you are not really saved. Maybe like some of our brothers and sisters, that you, you didn't do something right. Maybe you weren't, the right words weren't said over your baptism or you didn't pray the right thoughts. I've read this Bible through many times. I can't find a formula in there that says, if you repeat after these words, if you do this particular thing, you will no longer have to fear death. What I read in this world, these words, if you become a Christ follower, 
You are saved through the blood of the cross. You have been reconciled. And that is the gospel that we share. It is only through Christ, not our own actions, that we're saved. It is our choice to follow or to reject. It is our choice to be reconciled to God through Christ or to remain in our damnation. That's the two choices. Therefore, he says... No one according to the flesh. Therefore, he says, you are a new creation through whom Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. And finally, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, if you grew up in the days of RAs, you probably are reciting a, a message in your head. For RAs, it stands for Royal Ambassadors. We are Christ ambassadors. This is what God calls each and every one of us to be, to be his ambassador. Now, what is an ambassador? Is it a messenger? Partly. An ambassador represents the king. He represents every bit of the king, not for his own message, but for the message of the king. If those who he goes to rejects his message it is just as if they rejected the king himself if they slay the ambassador it is just as if they attack the king himself we are not just proclaimers of the gospel we are ambassadors of the gospel we have been given a commission by God to be his representative here and now, just as Paul was, just as he was commanding the Corinthians to be. For we are more than just messengers. We are representatives of the king. Let that sink in. That is what being an ambassador is. It's not an easy task. Just look at some of our ambassadors today who have to represent our president. Whether you agree with them or disagree with them politically, you know they've been given a tough task. They have to represent our president to foreign states, to some who see us as enemies and some who see us as friends. The world treats us the same. If we are ambassadors for Christ, there will be some who will recognize us and give us the honor and respect that is due to ambassadors of Christ. But there are going to be some that reject you and hate you because of who you represent, because of the message that you bring, because you are not of this world. You are a world whose image is in heaven with God, a holy and righteous God, one where we have been reconciled to stand before this holy and righteous God because of the blood of the Lamb. We have been made new so that we can be ambassadors for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God this was God's plan for you those stripes on his back those holes in his head the nail scars the excruciating pain, that was for you. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see him praying there. 
we see him praying that if you can take this cup from me, Lord, please do so. It wasn't the pain that he was so fearful of because that was the flesh. That was temporal. It was the wrath of God taken out on his soul. And yet, he was obedient, obedient unto death. And through his obedience, he defeated death. For when he was buried, he remained there but three days. And he was given a new body, a resurrected body. One that is like ours, but different. He still had flesh and blood. They could touch and feel his scars, see his wounds, but they were healed. That's the way we go. We still live in this flesh that we've been given, this body that is ours. And for some of us, it hurts more than others. Some of us, we suffer and have experienced great pain. But this is only temporal. This is only a shell. For when we meet Christ in the self, in the flesh, no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit, as we know him, we will know him fully, and he will know us fully, because our corruption will be gone, and we will have our heavenly dwelling, as if a robe that we can put on. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message. Lord, teach us to be your ambassador. Teach us to be your representative in this place that we call home. Whether we live here all the days of our life or if we spend just a time and move on. Teach us that we are your representative no matter where you may lead us in life. It is in your name we pray. Amen.